Welcome to the National Minority Supplier Development Council's Equity in Business Podcast. My name is John Daniel. I'm honored to be your host for today, and I am also honored to have a wonderful guest with us. This is Mr. N. Scott Phillips. He is a director of the Baltimore MDA Advanced Manufacturing Center. Yes, Mr. Sir. Phillips, how you doing, sir? I'm doing good, John. It's a pleasure to be here with you today. Sir, these folks need to know something about you. <laughs> I had the honor of meeting you here at the National Minority Supplier Development Council Nationals uh, Convention, which also includes MBDA. That's correct. Please share a little bit about your history with MBDA and all the things that you do. <laughs> well, um, I've been involved with MBDA since 2014 in an official capacity, I'll call it. Um, I began running a business center here in Baltimore. Um, and eventually, we were granted an opportunity to run the Advanced Manufacturing Center focused on developing minority manufacturers uh, in all spaces, in all industries. So really excited about that. Um, glad to have the NMSDC and MBDA in Baltimore, because this is my city. This is where I grew up. Uh, this is where, I guess, um, formation for some of the things that have become very important to me, particularly this idea of building equity and growing uh, wealth in minority communities. So excited to, to have you guys here. Outstanding, outstanding. What are your current responsibilities with the MBDA that's relevant to closing the equity gap concerning this particular convention? Yeah, so very specifically, um, our job is to find and assist minority manufacturers. And while we're located here in Baltimore, many of the firms that we're working with are around the country, but specifically in the mid-Atlantic area. Hmm. And what does that assistance look like? That assistance looks like assisting with them with finding access to capital, um, guiding them through contracting, assisting them with specialized training so that they can bring the best uh, resources to their companies to help their companies grow, right? It also... For us, it's the creation of an ecosystem. Hmm. So I talk a lot about, uh, particularly in the manufacturing space, it can be very lonely for manufacturers. Many of them are siloed and they're very focused on building that widget, building that thing, but they're not necessarily engaged with the industry as a whole. Uh, and so from that, we've done a lot of strategic partnering. So we've worked with majority firms, we've worked with majority manufacturing organizations, and we're helping them to diversify and bring some folks of color into those organizations. Because once again, it's about that ecosystem, right? Um, the other thing that I'm really big on is having uh, kind of us help us, right? Mm. So you bring these minority manufacturers to the table so that they can learn from each other, they can support each other, and they can encourage each other. And so that's what I do every day. Awesome, awesome. How does your leadership in MBDA coalesce with what the National Minority Supply Development Council is doing to close the equity gap? So this relationship between NMSDC and MBDA, I believe is critical. 
Um, over the years, there have been times the MBDA, a government entity, was kind of over here doing its thing. An NMSDC over here dealing with corporations doing its thing. But the two things really have a great deal of synergy. And so on a few occasions, like this year, the two organizations have come together and had their national meetings um, in a combined way. I do hope that we continue to do that because it opens the eyes of a number of uh, minority businesses that aren't necessarily participants in NMSDC hmm. or aren't necessarily participants in an MBDA. It opens the eyes of some folks who are very corporate oriented into the opportunities, the policies, the initiatives coming out of federal agencies, which are critical because often those early dollars in, right, are the dollars that the major corporations are looking to take advantage of. And many times, our minority businesses are not as aware of those early initiatives, right? Infrastructure dollars, major initiatives in terms of alternative fuels. All of those things are things that we talk about. But seeing the policy people communicate with corporate America, I think is extremely important. That's fantastic. And there's always a challenge when money comes from the federal government to the state are there any stories that you might share about that? Because we're talking about hurdles that we have to cross. Yeah. So, and, and um, the way that the federal government can impact what ha happens on a local level is by sending money to the states, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And if I have some states uh, more progressive than others in terms of their inclusiveness mm -hmm. with those dollars. Um, what I see in terms of policies though, are sending the money, but also creating the policies that say when you spend this money, you have to spend the money in a certain way that is more inclusive. Yes, sir. I understand what right. you're saying. And so yeah. um, that's why national policy is so important, right? right? So if I send it to a state, I won't call out any particular red state, um, but if I send it to a state that is extremely conservative, that does not um, really focus on minority business and inclusion, and I don't send them a policy that says, you need to consider these things, then what's gonna happen with that money? Black and brown people are not gonna be engaged and they're not going to see the benefit. So I am a policy kind of wonk. Um, it's one of the reasons, and I'll kind of share this with you, that I decided to get into elected politics as well, mm -hmm. right? So that I could not only take my corporate experience and this grassroots experience, but then apply that. So here in Maryland, we have a, um, you know, state elected representatives. I happen to be a legislator. Uh, and so taking this business experience and applying some of this in policies that impact the way money is spent is extremely important. So you took that challenge to a personal level. Very much so. So that you could put your head, your heart, your habits in your hands in making sure the money was going where it was supposed to. Absolutely. I love it. I love it. That, that actually leads me to my next question. And, and I'm sure there's much more than what you just said, but how are you deflecting and redirecting, countering the assault on closing the equity gap that we've seen? Uh, our uh, undersecretary of the United States Department of Commerce used that expression that it was an assault on equity. It's an assault. Please, sir. Yeah. So two things. Number one, 
I'm not of the opinion that we panic, right? Because I know there is there are a lot of corporations, there are a lot of organizations who are in panic mode. Mm. Um, Calvin Butler, I think, said it well, uh, the CEO of Exelon, where he said, look, we need to stay focused on what we are doing. The assaults are going to come. We need to defend ourselves against the assaults, but we also need to double down because equity is good for America. And I believe that 100%. Mm-hmm. And so, and, and I'll give you some of my background um, that informs. Yes, sir. I spent 30 years at IBM. For about seven of those years, I ran a federal small business program for IBM, right? And I used to have a difficult time getting some of the managers in our federal organization to embrace this idea that they needed to do business with minority-owned companies. At some point, it struck me that they've got to focus on their bottom line. And if I can show them that their bottom line would be positively impacted by working with people of color, they would get it. And that would change their mode of operation. So what did we do? I had a concept of sell to, sell through, and sell with. So I said, look, there are these programs within federal agencies that say, 8A program is example, that say that a certain number of these contracts are going to go to a 8A certified firm. We don't have partnerships with these 8A certified firms. Mm-hmm. We could always do 49% of the work with the 8A certified firms. You are therefore growing your bottom line and you're helping to build a company that can be a great partner. Now it matters to me. So now I'm engaged. And now I'm saying, ooh, <laughs> give you another example. That's that's sell, that's sell through, right? How about sell with? I would say to them, we don't have black-owned uh, partners selling our wares. So if I go into a city like Baltimore, which at that point in time was our first African-American mayor, first African-American city council president, I can't go in there and say, I'm just going to bring anybody, right? I got to go in there and say, I'm bringing, I'm coming with a partner. And I'm coming with a partner that's got some credibility in the city of Baltimore. So all of those things, people begin to understand that. So this idea of diversity and inclusion and this idea that we, together, we can be better is just real. It's good for the bottom line. So when I get naysayers, you know, I just say at the end of the day, who do you want to be in the foxhole with? You want to be in the foxhole with with somebody that can contribute, that can add value. And I just believe that in our society today, as diverse as our society has become, if you don't have a a diverse set of folks in the foxhole, then you're not going to be successful. They say in a foxhole during war, there are no unbelievers because you're dependent upon the person with you. That's exactly right. And this is important from the perspective of, you know, what is it that we're looking at in terms of the end game? So you've just described the environmental scandal, what's happening. But what's it look like for MBDA and your leadership with the National Minority Supply Development Council? What's the what's the end game? Look, what kind of qualitative things do you want to happen? 
I know we can't talk numbers right now, no, but we good. can talk quality. Yeah, uh, quality and quantity. Because yeah. at the end of the day, what we're looking to do, the impact we want to have, we want to have an impact that says we've grown wealth in the black and brown community. We have increased the number of opportunities for people to be employed in those communities. We've taken communities that may have blight and we have incentivized people to go to those communities and invest. The other day I used the example of a place called the Image Center. The Image Center is a 20,000 square foot warehouse. Right. And, the, and, and, and this story ha- can be replicated and has been replicated, but I just need to share it. The Image Center, young man said, I want to take this 20,000 square foot building that's been vacant for like 20 years, that sits in one of the most depressed areas in Baltimore City, and I want to turn it into a place where we can employ people, we can train people. Mm-hmm. It took a lot, right? About a three and a half million dollar investment. Mm-hmm. It took state money, it took city money, it took philanthropic money, it took private investment, but that building was built. Right. It has made a tremendous difference in that neighborhood. Now training young people on how to manufacture clothing and how to manufacture food products, right? Manufacture. They're creating in this little corner of Baltimore City a set of entrepreneurs, but also a set of people that have skilled to, to build something that they can see and then they can go sell. It's a unique situation. They're now actually doing the, uh, so think about this. These kids are manufacturing their own uniforms in many of the schools across Baltimore City, right? So, so that's, those are the things qualitative, but also quantitative. That's how we make the difference. And those stories can be replicated, whether it's in, you know, those companies that are building products for the automotive industry, um, electronic uh, EV stations, you name it. We can do that, but we have to focus on it and, and we have to incentivize people. That's where policy comes in. That's where government comes in. Yes. Right. And I believe we can do that. We have to incentivize those investments in those those communities. And we got to do it right. There have been a lot of programs and not all of them have been. Um, successful in reaching the outcomes that we desire. So as we build these things, we have to do it in the right way. Let me do a quick follow-up on this relative to sustainability and the carbon footprint. Mm. And manufacturing traditionally has been a part of many brown and black communities. They've been redlined to be near people of color who are underserved. Is there an effort underway to look at sustainability, carbon footprint with the MBDA so that not only are we creating jobs, we're creating a greater sense and ecosystem of health, literally where black and brown people live. So there are a number of initiatives and I, and I really appreciate MBDA is um, really working closely with the energy department, um, with the Department of Defense, all around this idea of bringing technologies and looking at the minority community to help the innovators in creating technologies that will allow us to reduce our carbon footprint. Um, At the same time, when we talk about manufacturing, it's not the manufacturing. My dad was a steel worker, right? Best steel. Dirty business, right? You want to talk about, you know, how we got to this place where we're dealing with carbon 
excess carbon and oh, steel mill is that place. If you went to that same site today, it's one of the largest logistics sites in the world. And many of those buildings out there are green buildings. Manufacturing, distribution, um, it's not the same as it was, right? And so we can reduce our carbon footprint and produce uh, products that actually make sense for our community at the same time. It doesn't have to be an either or. We just have to do it with, we got to go into this understanding that we need to do this in a green way, right? But we, we got to keep doing it. We got to create these jobs. We got to create this economic opportunity. And so we just got to figure out how do we take all of these technologies. Um, I'm dealing with a young lady right now who's pulling together what, what she's calling, um, uh, mm, what she call it? Basically a, a smart transportation hub. Mm-hmm. But the idea that you could have a, basically a bus shelter, et cetera, that provides people with um, some dignity, right? So I can plug in my phone, I can do it. But all of this to be done off grid. Think about that. Using solar, using wind, using fuel cells. So you come into this shelter. That's how our black and brown innovators are thinking because they don't want to create more of a carbon footprint. I want to create my products in a way that's healthy, that's sustainable, but also contributes to the communities and to the people that I want to serve. So the carbon footprint is not mutually exclusive to being sustainable relative to manufacturing. Correct. Now, I would offer this addendum and and get your reflection on it. Isn't it possible to create jobs in decreasing the carbon footprint too that would go along? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, And... Once again, figuring out how do we incentivize people to do those things, right, in the in this new uh, energy space, right? Because we need energy, but to do those things in these new energy space that are carbon neutral or carbon reducing at the same time that we're creating these innovative technologies that put people to work. Wow. That's key. I'm flipping back to conceptually looking at equity and diversity. Um, Can you describe the similarities and differences between inclusion Mm -hmm. and diversity? Okay, all right. So so, um, often when we talk about diversity, we're looking at, you know, just complete diversity, race, sex, gender, right? Um, I, I believe, from my perspective, so I'm gonna share my perspective. Yes, sir. Uh, inclusion should suggest, I am looking at those communities that are most affected negatively in my particular environment, whether it's your corporate organization, whether it's your um, vendor pool, uh, whether it's uh, those, organi- those entities that you are gearing yourself to whether it's your products or your services. Being intentional about looking at that scan and saying, this then equals inclusion. I'll give you my example. Right now, state of Maryland, we have a wonderful MBE program, one of the longest standing minority business enterprise programs of any state um, in the country. If you looked at those numbers 
we're about 25 to 30% African-American in the state, right? We're probably doing somewhere around five to 10% of the minority business number goes to African-American owned companies. Hmm. The spend is very diverse, but not necessarily inclusive of all. Right. And so that's where I kind of draw the distinction between this idea of diversity and inclusion. I think we need to be more intentional. I just use that as an example, but I think we need to be more intentional about saying these this group has not been included in the way it should. Very specifically. Right. That could be Asian Americans in some organizations, in some entities. That could be Hispanic in some, right? But then I think we become um, more direct in how we're addressing these issues. Outstanding. I'm coming to a point where we wrap up, but I don't really want to. There's just too much good information that's coming from your experience and your lived experience. What are what could advice would you give to new minority slash women enterprises coming on board to get involved with MBDA and the whole concept of being successful as new entrepreneurs? So I believe the value of MBDA really is the network. And I challenge uh, business owners to engage with, whether it's MBDA, NMSDC, uh, WeBank for Women, challenge those organizations to help you succeed. That's what we are here for, right? And there are, there are um, funds whether they're coming from federal organizations, corporate organizations, this idea of investing in diversity, inclusion, uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion, investing in minority business is not new. I am often concerned that business owners don't take advantage of all of the resources that are out there for them to be successful. And so I would encourage folks, right, not to get discouraged because you may come to me and it's, and it's not a fit, right? You say, oh, Scott couldn't help me. That's okay. But there are other Scotts. There are other Don Cravens, right? There are other Ying McGuire's. Put those resources to the test because we want you to be prepared. And that's what we're here to do, to help prepare you. Mr. and Scott Phillips, it has been an honor and a plum pleasing pleasure to sit and chat with you. And I just want to highlight something that is resounding in my heart and head that you said today. You talked about to, through, and with in order to create a bigger pie to create sustainable success. For the corporations out there and the MBEs, these are words of wisdom. Let's follow them. Thank you, sir. Thank you, John. You are a gentleman. Scott. Appreciate you. Appreciate you.